thanks so much for joining today for the Liberate Your Orgasm podcast. I'm your host, Veronica Lynn Clark, and I have a special guest. She's one of my dear friends, beloved, and I'm so grateful to have you here, Summer Bloyer. Summer is also a health and wellness coach. She is a mother, um, a teacher in the community. So I, I'm really grateful to have you. So when I saw how active that you that you were immediately after the news broke about George Floyd and just your tenacity of posting and being a white woman and sharing about you know anti-racism and just bringing so much awareness it it touched my heart in a way that I think I didn't realize that I I needed to know that as my white friend as a woman who does have privilege, that touched me. You know, I had a totally different experience when I first heard, and I was like shut down. You know, I, I expressed that my my son, my 16-year-old son, is the one that said to me, hey, mom, you know, another black man was killed. Fuck, I didn't know what to say. You know, my 16-year-old son seeing a black man being held down with a knee on his neck crying out for his dead mother, saying that he can't breathe. It, it just was like this, this, this part of me that collapsed inside. And it's, of course, this surmounting um, energy around everything that's been happening with COVID and, and being here inside the home. And it was so interesting to feel like, you know, we, me and my family, we've been um, still a lot in lockdown and kind of like really close unit. So I'm so grateful to not be out and about i was like oh god my kids are home yes. so anyways i just i'm gonna i'm gonna pause right there i keep doing a lot of talking but i just want to just turn it over to you and i just i just i just need to express that i'm grateful i'm grateful that you being my white friend of privilege who before this you know i don't look at you and say she's white i'm not interacting with you in that way and then what happens when something like this occurs it was just really a breath of fresh air to see you so active Thank you, thank you. Um, I think the biggest thing for me when I found out was um, this feeling of when is this going to stop? Yeah. And this feeling of rage and sadness, we're all feeling it. I'm not the only one. I just find that experiencing, experiencing prejudice, experiencing unkindness, trauma from other people in power makes you a different person. And not to compare my experience with a black man's experience, but it changes you. And you know what it is to be afraid. And you know what it is to be subjugated not in the same way that anyone else is, but in your own way. And so when you see that happening to someone else, you're crying out with your own trauma and you're crying out with your own pain and, and you want it all to stop. Mm -hmm. And so seeing someone else's suffering or pain is unacceptable. So for me, it was, um, this can't be happening again. And yet it happens just because it's video doesn't mean it isn't happening. Right. And doesn't mean it isn't happening on, on these micro levels too, right? I mean, I, I remember 
uh, my first degree was in women's studies and there was a lot of um, a lot of reading um, about minorities in general. And I remember reading um, books about um, minorities, especially African-American people or Hispanic people in poverty. And the difference between what happens when they get pulled over and get a speeding ticket and a white person gets pulled over and get a, gets a speeding ticket. Mm -hmm. And small questions like, do they have a ride to the courthouse for their date? Can they pay the menial fine? And if not, they're incarcerated and then lose their job and then find that they have even more time in jail. And then it, it blew my mind, the perpetuation of the privilege yeah. that I enjoy um, or that I, that I don't, that I take for granted. I, there's not even a way to express what that means. Take for granted, take advantage of, experience, live every day that I don't see other people and I don't know what to do. And it's just infuriating all of it. Yeah. Not just knowing that someone was killed in such a terrible, violent way, but knowing that that's 1% of what's actually happening that we don't see. That we don't see, right? It's bewildering. It's bewildering that it's 2020 and we are still, we still don't have equal civil rights. That we're still being judged by our skin color, by the way that we look. And, and, and although this particular episode is being fueled because of the recent um, murder of George Floyd, I want to recognize that this happens on so many different levels for um, Black people, Indigenous, other, you know, people of color, that this is across the board. And it is absolutely disgusting and despicable. And there's this part of me there's this part of me that I had to sit with in this past week. And I, for two years, have been doing, um, have been really trying to strip away attachment and, and working diligently on what I call like just clearing my inner temple and truly trying to embody peace and love and compassion. And I was confronted with these parts of myself that were infuriated and enraged and in disgust and in and had my own violent, like, you know, fuck you, and my own, you know, like, just this disruption inside of me, this, you know, this wanting to protect, wanting to shield my son's eyes from this disgust, like, he, I want him to be able to go out into the world and to feel that he is safe, and that he's a good young man, and that he's going to be respected for who he is as a being, and that he is a contributing member of society, and that, you know, my daughters are going to feel safe and comfortable that their brothers are, are going to also be safe, that they can work and they can live their life and not be, you know, just judged by the color of their skin. And, and I had to sit with that part. And then, the, then the, the, the riots and the outrage. And I understood. I understood it. I, don't, I did not condone it. But I did not judge it. I did not judge it in that it's bad or this is wrong. I understand that there is a massive eruption that's happening within all of us. And, and it's that voiceless, like it's those who have been oppressed for so long that that is like, that's what happens is this rioting, this outrage. I had to see 
and feel the way that my own energy was being pulled in the direction of this vortex. And, you know, we have a choice when we, when we see those things happening, when we feel that, and we can either contributing to it in a way that fuels that fire, or we take the more perhaps challenging road for some, and in a in in moment, it was challenging for me, and then I went through the process of grieving and the sadness, but to be able to pull back and say, I have to transmute this and use what I'm feeling in a different way and to, and to come back to my center and to dispel all of this pent up energy and this energy also that I'm feeling from the collective and be able to disperse it out in other ways that are going to be more contributing to peace and to more to more love and to more compassion. In myself, I have had to work on that alchemical process, you know, discharging the energy, trying not to lash out, whatever it was, going to yoga, staying in meditation, staying in, in mindfulness. Thank God. I'm, I'm so grateful that I'm resourced in that way. Yes. Oh my God, yes. You know, I'm, I'm resourced that I have these helpful coping mechanisms these ha these habits and behaviors and these resources that i know how to turn to yes there's many who do not and they don't know what to do and so they want to burn and they pillage and they take yes. because they feel so unbalanced they don't know what to do mm -hmm. so it's uh, excusing it it's not excusing it, but we i think we have to we have to have some understanding of it we have to have some compassion we have to because we've we've each rioted in our own hearts, in our own bodies, and we've we've looted ourselves. Especially, I think, as women, we tend to turn our aggression inward. We've looted our own selves, and and our ego has been cruel and have taken things from our soul. And we've been unkind. We've used things like food, drugs, alcohol, sex self-deprecation. We've done the same thing, only it's been inward. So we know, I know what that's like. Yeah. And we can see what that is. Yeah. Easy to see how that, what that is. We, it's, it's difficult to know the difference between anger and aggression. And when we can delineate those, then we can start to allow the anger to move. We can move that anger so that aggression isn't the byproduct. Yeah. But yes. I, been aggressive with myself yes I've been verbally aggressive to others and I've taken advantage of others and I manipulated others because I was angry inside and I felt empty and so in a way we've done we've all done this yes. we've done it on some level so when we look at it we have to look at it with compassion because we know what that is each yes. of us knows. yes it's not something that any of us hasn't done right we just have done it in a different way yes. so See that we have to say, my God, you must be hurting. Yes. Yes. I know what that is to hurt and you must be hurting. I, yes. When I, what can I do? How can I hold space for your anger? Because the other component is this, we have we have to draw the line mm -hmm. do we do it like that in aggression no but we have to we have to also understand that power isn't always peaceful because sometimes we think if i just take the higher road mm -hmm. allow if i just back away if i just that power isn't always in that peace 
Power sometimes is drawing the line in the sand. I agree. That's absolutely it. So how do we do that with integrity mm-hmm. and not aggression? How do we allow that anger to move and to express it and to move through our bodies and truly feel it so that we can get the gifts that our soul is trying to give us with that anger? Yeah. Not turn it into aggression against others or ourselves. And that is the hard part. And that's, I think, what we can demonstrate to others. And that is, going back to your first question, what I was trying to do when I was posting on Facebook, not only for other people, but for myself, because I'm asking the same questions. Yes. How do I do this? So Thank I'm, you for saying that. Because mm-hmm. I'm posting them as I go along. What about this? What about this? Mm-hmm. What about this? Oh, yes, this feels right. Mm-hmm. Feels good. I'm going to post this. Maybe someone else has these same questions. Mm-hmm. These prompts feel good. This type of introspection feels good. This formula for healing feels good to me. So that's how I'm working through it as I'm working through it publicly. Yeah. And then doing the things I'm looking at other people who I admire. What are you doing? Yeah. How are you you handling this? And then Mm -hmm. I'm posting that story. Oh, this Mm -hmm. is, yes, this feels good to me. Mm -hmm. So that's how I think we can move the anger into something that will be productive and not destructive. Yeah. I want to, I just want to reiterate that point that you just made just in case anybody missed that. But as you were learning and trying to navigate the situation, then you are publicly being able to like share different posts, different things that you, that you came across because you're like, I'm asking these same questions. I don't necessarily, I don't have the answers. I don't have all this figured out. I'm just going to share and put this out there, but I'm also, I'm also navigating this with you. Yeah. Yeah. like, Like you don't have to already have all of the answers because we don't. We're lying. We're in ego if we think that we do have all of the answers. Yes. And I, and I appreciate that you were able to, you know, also like, who are some of the other people that you admire? Who are some of the other influencers out there so that we can take, you know, take a, a lead from that and be able to say, okay, I love what you're doing. And here, there's that resonates. And this is something that I can also do to help evoke change, either in our family unit, in our community, in the way that we do, maybe on podcasts or th- different things like that. Because, because I think that also, you know, for so long, all of this stuff is so swept under the carpet. And, um, you know, we don't want to acknowledge that there's racism on, on any front. Like, I mean, we know that it's there, but then we're just kind of like, eh, I don't know. The conversation's uncomfortable and, and knowing um, what language to use, I think sometimes keeps people from speaking and speaking the truth. And there's all of this, like, I don't, maybe I don't want to rock the boat or and, and the thing is, is that if we can all acknowledge, hey, we're all uncomfortable in this and we all don't, we all know something's wrong. Something is, something is systemically fucked up and yeah. I don't have the answer. And if we can bring that level of vulnerability to the table, that's how we can start to change. You know, I, and, and this other thing that's coming up is I, I was really, you know, I was, I was um, vibing with what you were talking about that, you know, change like we have to put the stake in the ground and and all around us whether you look at like um you know like mythology or you look at you know different archetypes like like let's say kali and more than anything when you look at nature nature when nature is looking to bring balance to itself 
it is a force to be reckoned with. There is violence, there is eruption, but like this is what brings about the balance in time. And really our planet is trying to bring itself back into balance in all of these different forms. And when it comes to what's happening right now, we can see this in, in various ways as trying to balance and whether that's in this destructive way, which we can see it's, it's, uh, it's very much in the destructive way, but that, that destruction also brings with it a form of beauty because we can start to see and understand the correlation between our own beingness and the way that we naturally want to fight for and bring forth balance and restoration. You know, so, so when we start to help people to become more resourced in how to handle their trauma and how to use their voice, what happens if you can't speak, but you got to do something, then that's where the destructive energy, right? But we can take that and we give people more resources so that we, we help them to see, I hear you, I see you, I understand. There's a different way though. I love that. I actually, so I, I'm a speech pathologist as well, and I work um, with adults and pediatrics. One of my favorite things to do is to focus on trauma-informed care. I really, really love that. And what happens when you look at a brain that has experienced trauma, and I don't mean physical trauma, I mean emotional, mental, whatever situation, you look at that brain and it, it, it presents as a traumatic brain injury. That is what the MRI image of that brain looks like. It has changed. So when I know, when I see a kiddo with trauma, I know that I'm getting a kid with a TBI. It's not going to look the same at all. And I cannot treat this child as if he's had, you know, a, a normal upbringing with a normal, whatever, like it's different. All rules are gone off the table. And so I have children that are tipping over desks and like messing up the room and we have to evacuate the room. It happens a lot, a couple times mm -hmm. a month, at least. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Yeah. You hold space. You do not put your hands on that child. Yeah. You know, this is trauma. Yeah. This is what trauma looks like. Yeah. And, and that's your response. It's not yeah. When you attempt to subvert whatever they're acting out, you're just adding to the trauma. So I love what you said, which is this, this is what we're experiencing, we're witnessing, we're witnessing trauma. We're people in trauma. So what do we do? Yeah. We hold space. Yeah. We hear them, we see them. That's, that's the response we give. And then we teach them what are other strategies? That's exactly what I do with these kids. What are other strategies? You can say, you know, when I tell my kids, you can say, I feel mad. You can say, I need a break. You can take a breath. You can count to 10. You can say, I need a hug. You, whatever, right? You know, you know, you know, this is important. That's so important because what you're saying there also, not only are you giving them new strategies, but you're perhaps offering them permission that they've never been given before, that they actually have a, a, a choice to have an option or to like, they, they can do something different, mm -hmm. right? Because maybe in their homes, they haven't been given permission to express, I'm angry. I need a break. I need something different. We, if, if no, sometimes, you know, when we're in a home and if we're not explicitly stated, like, hey, you have a choice, your voice matters, what you, you know, and I know this, you know, growing up in a black household also, you know, it's like you speak when spoken to. Nobody expressed emotions in my family. 
You don't talk to anybody about go, what goes on in my in the family, and I didn't have a voice. Nobody expressed like out like anger, but nobody expressed really any emotions. So there was no permission for I did not know, and I couldn't give myself permission because I did not know that the permission existed. If you don't have the permission or you don't have a concept of it, you don't know that it's possible. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is that you see when you're working with individuals who have experienced trauma to the degree that it's you know um, it's ancestral trauma that's passed down and it's in it's you know taught behaviorally or it, you know they've experienced it, all forms of trauma sexual physical emotional whatever that is withholding of love and affection because parents are navigating their own trauma and therefore they don't know how to provide care to their children and so now the children are being affected by that right there's all these different things that are happening and so like it, i love i love that it is essential that we recognize that peace that it's also helping people to become more empowered not just in having more skills but being able to say you can make a choice for yourself. Yes. You hear that, but you don't hear that. You know it, but you don't know that. You know, so especially with our young children, being able to help them to recognize that from a very young age, especially to unlearn some of the things maybe that they've been, you know, learning, yeah. starting to make their decisions about. So that's... the other thing, the really big thing that I'm starting to teach my kiddos with trauma is um, is feeling this is so critical and it goes back to feeling anger versus aggression so if we can use this as like uh, a little i don't know micro metaphor for how we can deal with people who are having trauma now who are rioting who are having that kind of aggression or having those prejudices against them or who are dying in the streets and who are reacting to that maybe we can use this as a, a mini metaphor, but what I'm doing now with these kids, instead of just the rote things like count to 10, take a blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Okay, now I want you to tell me where in your body you feel anger. That's yeah. Now we've got to drop into our bodies. Here's the key piece that we forgot about this whole time. For mm -hmm. years and years, we've just been thinking about thoughts and emotions. Mm -hmm. It's not just thoughts and emotions. It's mm -hmm. thoughts, emotions, images, and body sensations. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking my kids, where do you feel it in your body? Yep. Where do you feel that? What color is it? What does it look like? How heavy is it? Use your imagination. And kids are really good at this. And I'll draw a picture of my body, and then I'll have them draw a picture of their body. And then I'll color in spaces where I feel my anger. That's and I'll right. color in my body where I feel my sadness. And they're coloring where they feel right so it's the feeling part too that we have to allow ourselves and that we get to teach people guide them coach them through during this traumatic time too is yeah. we get to feel it and that is how we let it go that's how we um learn what our soul is trying to teach us and how we receive the gifts our soul is trying to give us through these emotions yeah. by feeling them in our body and understanding that their sensations are not who we are because when we think that's who we are, when we identify with it, then that's aggression or it's depression yeah. or whatever it is that manifests as something that we interpret ourselves to be that emotion. So uh, yeah. feel in their bodies and allowing that to move, then we can receive the gifts of those emotions instead of transmuting in, into something that isn't healthy. I posted something the other day and I thought the responses were so interesting. And I've been reading the book 
a radical acceptance. Mm. And I read that, yeah. Oh, it is so powerful. And I can't remember the author's name, author's name Tara something. She is a psychoanalyst and, and a Buddhist teacher. Yeah, Tara Brock. Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. She's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And the question she asks is a question that I ask my clients, which is, what are you doing to avoid your pain? And yeah. so I posted that, what are you doing to avoid your pain? And people, I had all kinds of people posting as if it was normal to avoid your pain. Food, right. um, you know, drugs, alcohol, scrolling, Netflix, uh, whatever. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they missed the point, yeah. right? The point was supposed to be more introspective, like, right. oh, what am I doing to avoid my pain right now? Yeah. Is we don't want to avoid our pain. We need to oh. feel our pain. We need but we, to. But we're not, but that's the whole piece is I think like, again, going back to this, like being resourced and feeling your body. I love that you bring that up because we also have to be resourced enough to be able to feel our body. There has to be a level of safety that we feel in order to let go of the hypervigilance or being on the lookout. Like, am I, you know, we're, if, if we're in trauma and if we're in a trauma, in a trauma state, it's usually that like sympathetic energy that's moving through us, right? You're fight or flight. And it's like, you, you're like this, you're like just constantly looking around. You can't even relax enough to be able to get into your body to say, oh God, like, this is what I'm feeling. If we feel what we feel, and I, so I, I can only imagine, like, I'm so grateful that you're working with these children because they must feel that sense of safety with you enough to be able to do that, to be able to relax enough. Because if we can't relax enough, then we go back up into the brain and into the head because now we're looking out for danger. And the, and the sad part is, is that when the danger is inside the body, because the body has interpreted everything as like, there's dangerous. All the chemicals in our body are like, okay, we gotta get ready for, we gotta get ready to run. You don't know what's gonna happen. I can't relax, I can't chill. You know, stuff happened to me when I was relaxed or, or what have you, you know, when I wasn't expecting it, something, you know, happened. And then that stays stuck inside of our body. And so being able to have the safe space, being able to have people who are compassionate, who are doing their individual work, to be able to transmute, to be able to recognize, shit, how am I complicit and com you know, contributing to this? How can I learn how to be a safe space for somebody? Yes. So that they can trust me and I can share these different tools, these resources, you know? Um, for me, yoga and meditation, mindfulness, mm -hmm have saved my life, I feel like. You know, I, I have, I have I've, um, had PTSD, developmental PTSD, multiple forms of PTSD. I don't take medication for them, but I was diagnosed. Um, and, and I, you know, I don't even, like, diagnosis, you know, it's just, it is what it is. It's just a, I'm just expressing that because I understand intimately what it feels like to be in that chronic state of, you know, um, fight or flight. Yes. Or freeze. Yes. Or freeze. Yes. Freeze, which is what I noticed was happening once I heard what happened. I was like, shut down. Yes. I don't know what to do. I feel helpless. My son's looking at this. I feel helpless. My other son is in Texas. I was on a mission right now. I'm helpless. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know, you know, what the, so, 
So to be able to have individuals, we come back to my point, who are willing to step up right now and who are doing their work, you're needed. We're needed. Mm-hmm. We're doing our work and we have enough capacity to be able to help others who are not as resourced, who do not feel the safety to be able to relax and to be able to drop into their body to release trauma, either you know vocally, just making sounds because they don't have words, or to be able to express, maybe they need to get all the fuck yous out, all the hate yous, all the whatever out, because maybe there wasn't a space for that. And it was like, shut down, shut down, shut down. Or there wasn't a safe enough container that we could transmute that into something else once it was actually released. You know what I mean? Yes. We need these, we need us, healers in the community, people who have capacity, who are resource to share their resources. So we can bring, you know, to share and teach so that we can bring more peace about and not stay in this chronic state of trauma, this trauma vortex that's happening all around our planet, all around our globe. Yes, I love that point. I love that point of dropping back into your body. And those are things things people can physically do Mm -hmm. and they can start to understand sensations in their body and they can start to identify with them. Just movement, breath, and making sound, like those are so critical. Yeah. So critical. Something occurred to me as you were talking about, about 20 million things occurred to me while you were talking about. One of the things that um, just happened recently, my daughter has been complaining of a heaviness in her chest and immediately I'm like, COVID! Oh my God, let you guys go. And I'm like, <laughs> like looking up all the like symptoms in children, whatever. But it's only maybe three times a day. She'll be like, I'm having trouble breathing. I'm like, okay, what do you mean? What does that look like? She's nine. It's difficult for her to describe what that feels like. So I'm probing, I'm asking questions, but trying not to put words in her mouth. So it happened for a couple of days. And I finally, we did a video conference with the doctor. And she didn't seem concerned, but she said something so interesting. Just She said, does it feel like you can't open your throat to take a breath, but you can, but it doesn't feel like you can? And my daughter's like, well, it's a little bit. And she's like, because I've had that for years. Mm-hmm. And I've had so many patients come in lately complaining of the same symptom, that it feels like even though they're breathing and their O2 stats are fine, they can't open, they can't open their throat to take a breath. And I was overwhelmed with this, like, yes, we all feel like that right now. We all feel like we can't breathe. There's nothing physically wrong, but we're the sensation of not being able to breathe or speak or swallow or all of that is, is held right here. We have now waves of people going to the doctor because and there's nothing physically wrong, right? It's, it's, it's just spiritually. My God, I can't breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's you know it's so it's so fascinating because also with our children, you know, I I do believe that most parents are doing the very best that they can, right? Like, and I do believe that we all do the best that we can, and so like you know, thankfully your your child was able to express this and like you know, and express, and how many children are not able to express what's happening, you know, per se. Um, And so, you know, I, I, I pray that we get to a point where, again, we are helping people to become more resourced and also to become aware of the energetic blocks that 
move or that are there within us when we might be hearing, you know, we, our kids see so much, whether it's on TikTok or, you know, other social media forums or, you know, the news, they hear things and how, how that starts to manifest in them, whether, you know, we feel like, well, they're not directly impacted by it. And yet, you know, we are all still one or we are all one, you know, yeah. and so, so we are picking things up and, you know, I think it's like in our ex, you know, we, we are actually also emitting, um, different messages out through our stress hormones are being sent out into the environment and and to be aware of that and how that affects and, and how it impacts us um but, but along these lines though this is this is where i wanted to go with this because i um again thinking about these different ways that we can help within our individual communities to become more resourced and to come together in ways that can help each other to feel heard and um, without judgment and it, that, that, it's, that it's okay to bring ignorance because sometimes we haven't had the, you know, the, the language, we haven't had the conversation, the safe space to have the conversation to say, hey, I don't know what questions or this is how I was brought up and, you know, I know it's not right, but I don't have the right way to say things and I never, you know, whatever that is, like creating these spaces. Um, you and I were talking the other day just about how COVID has, and, and you know, just being in quarantine and isolation has really kept a lot of people from being able to come together in groups and community to be able to share and express. And something really ha interesting happened that I, that I got a, um, a real personal experience of that, of that need to share and that need to express. And interesting enough, because I, I teach often and I'm teaching a lot and I'm, and I'm pretty vocal, I, I don't typically feel like I've, I've, I lack that. And yet on Saturday night here in, uh, in Scottsdale, we started to have, um, you know, there was riots in, in, in um, Old Town. And I was having dinner and with, with, you know, three other girlfriends and it was, you know, it was like everything had al was already happening, of course, with George Floyd. And there was like this massive stirring and we're hearing about, you know, Minneapolis burning and hearing about also like, um, you know, downtown Phoenix. And anyways, I'm out at dinner and all my girlfriends that I'm with, they're all white women and I'm, and I'm the only uh, black woman amongst us. And I get this call. And one of my other girlfriends says, hey, Veronica, are you safe? Are you okay? Because she knew I'm in Scottsdale and she heard about the riots and she said, the riots are, they're going to be moving up to Fashion Square or right across the street from Fashion Square. And I'm like, what? You know, like what's going on? And she's like, yeah, everyone's coming in. This is what's happening. You got to watch out. You got to hurry up and get out of there. And so of course there's this panic that's starting to like kind of stir up. And my daughter was out somewhere. And so I was like, oh, I got to go get my daughter. I got to go pick up my, my, my daughter. You know, where are my kids? I'm kind of like, you know, where, where's everybody at? And, um, and you know, it was so interesting because at dinner, of course, we, we weren't having a conversation at all about what was going on in our collective field. It was very much focused on whatever, you know, a couple of the individual women were experiencing and going through and, and you know, just holding space for, for some of that. And I could still feel a part of myself even in that conversation and even throughout the day, being a little separated, being a little bit compressed. And after receiving the call about the, the riot, you know, I. Um, that was coming and I mentioned it to the other women 
there was kind of like like an okay like okay yeah okay you know we're i'm sure we're fine we're fine but i suddenly had this almost feeling like of wanting to vomit you know i had to talk to my son about if he gets pulled off, if he, you know, he gets confronted or is doing something, you know, and a, and a cop pulls him over or stops him or something like that, I have to make sure that I'm talking to my black son about, you know, maintaining eye contact and keep your hands in where, where they can see him and don't fidget too much and don't move too much or don't do anything that will bring some attention to make it seem like you've done something wrong or that you're, you're going to do something wrong or, or anything like that. Like, don't and I, and I just felt this eruption and it's, and it's like, it was a good reminder for me to not pretend that I'm okay when I'm not okay. And that of us, you know, as we go through our day, that it's important to be able to feel what we're feeling and to bring that to the table also. It's important for us to, to stay connected with, with what's happening inside of us so that we can ask for what it is that we need. And, um, and also it's okay if we don't know what we need in that moment, that it's okay. <laughs> Three points I want to make yeah. backwards uh, in, and sort of go from where we are now. And then when we talk about finding out what it is we need, and when I made that post about how are you avoiding your pain, I think it's really important for us uh, to ask ourselves those questions like how am i coping how am i avoiding my pain and without judgment because it is um it is a beautiful gift that we can unwrap yeah so when we find the ways that we're coping so if i'm coping by online shopping or by having a glass of wine every night or what completely removing judgment just by asking myself what what does that mean for me what is it that i truly need yeah. what am i getting from that because online shopping isn't necessarily the way that i want to keep coping but it's right. how i'm dealing with my pain right now yeah how many more bikinis can i buy yeah. <laughs> i don't know a lot more probably but you know what what is it that i need inside i feel empty yeah that where that's coming from I feel empty and I need I need love I need to be heard I need to be seen I need to journal I need to you know you we can extract some of that once we start looking at it without judgment yeah and when I was talking about that post I'm hoping that I didn't imply that there was judgment around the fact that people were avoiding their pain because we do and it's okay yeah yeah we, yeah, yeah no yeah I know that makes sense yes mm -hmm. but those questions about okay what am I doing to cope what am I doing to avoid my pain and then from there that's where we can start to understand what to truly give ourselves what will what we can give ourselves to truly allow ourselves some beauty and repose and grace yes difficult times I'm online shopping I'm having a glass of wine every night I'm going out because I feel like I want to be distracted because yeah. this is fucking hard yeah. What do you need? And it's usually, regardless of when we're in a really traumatic um, situation like right now, or if it's two years ago where we felt a little bit more calm, or hopefully two years from now when things feel a little bit more calm, 
And we're asking ourselves those same questions. What, do I, what am I doing to cope? And then by answering those, we can answer the, the things that we're needing. And it's usually things that we didn't get when we were kids, right? Or we didn't right. feel that when, when we were kids. We felt like that wasn't part of what we experienced. I want to be heard. I want a companionship. I need a hug. Yeah. To say, and it almost goes back to those things that we teach kids that are traumatized. I need a break. I need to count to 10. I need a hug. I need to say I'm angry. I need to feel these emotions in my body. I need to move my body. I need to yell. I need yeah. to those things. So those that's a practical thing that we can allow ourselves. And that when we ask our, we can, it's a journal prompt, essentially. What, how am I coping? How am I feeling? The other point I wanted to make was, um, Veronica, I caught myself saying the things that um, my daughter's physician was reporting that a collective is saying, which is, I can't breathe. And I caught myself, I'm like, my God, that is what we're hashtagging. That is what, that is what so many Black men are saying, Black men and women are that is what we're all experiencing. We're not experiencing, obviously, to that level, but we all feel suffocated. And racism is suffocating. And if when you hear sirens, you're afraid that it's your son. When I hear sirens, I'm afraid that they're my babies. If you're not feeling that same fear when you watch these videos or when you see these pictures, then you're not understanding something so critical that you said in your life today, which is we are all part of the same self. And any subjugation is your subjugation, is my subjugation, is this baby's subjugation. And I can't, I can't stand it. We can't stand for it anymore. That's the suffocation that we're collectively feeling. That you caught yourself saying, I can't breathe. The people are hashtagging, I can't breathe. So on one level, whatever we're focusing on is going to continue to expand. And so we're going to create more of that suffocation. We're not then allowing more life to be breathed. Life comes with the breath. And suffocation, we're perpetuating the same thing, the suffocation, the death. And so it's important for us to, to recognize how, again, how we're contributing to to the constant trauma, whatever's happening and how we can shift that. But like, let this be, let his death be this way for us to be able to like really say no more. Like, like no more, no more deaths, no more police brutality, like no more, no more turning our heads, no more watching while your police officers does one thing or no more when you, when your your mom says something in the in the car to somebody on the side of the road go get a job or go back to your old country you know no more when your friends are saying something that you know isn't right like no more no more tolerating it no more let this be enough let this suffocation like suffocate the final, like let it be the thing that just suffocates the old ways. I hope that George Floyd's death, I hope that it can be a gift to us in a way that it allows us, that allows us to be able to really look at the blood on our own hands and the ways that we have been complicit in perpetuating and allowing the continual systemic just injustice. I think that's a beautiful sentiment. And 
I agree. If we can allow ourselves, allow ourselves to grieve, to pray, to open, to mourn, to join hands, to be one, and to take a step into something brand new, something that we have never experienced before. Yeah. Something brand new with humility and openness. Then I think we can heal. And instead of avoiding, we embrace. What if we stepped in and we changed it? And I looked a little longer and took someone's hand or took their arm, you know, and just held eye contact for one more second and stepped in. It makes a difference. When we avoid, when we don't, when we don't make eye contact, when we stay in our shame, like that is just compounded. The separation, the distance between us, the inability to come back together as one is just compounded. And I've done it in so many ways myself in these little, little ways. But we can't stay stuck in the shame anymore. We have to move through it. I think being able to share it and express it so that we can free ourselves of it. Because that's the thing. It's like, we doesn't have to poison us. We can just like release. This is what we need. Again, I come back to this holding space for community that within our individual communities more councils start to rise up so that we we can start to have a, and create a new way of dialogue nonviolent dialogue and also a way that still you know upholds the accountability and justice that we can still have compassion and understanding and yet there still has to be justice yes. and that people have to be accountable for their actions on all levels. Really grateful that, you know, you're allowing um, what wants to move just to move, you know, that's how I like to flow as well. You know, there's like, what what's true in the moment and what's really being felt. And, and I hope all of you that are watching or are listening can also feel that and give yourself the permission to be able to, um, you know, express in that way, just what wants to be moved, what wants to be shared, so. Do you have any, any final thoughts or anything that you'd like to express, Summer? Oh, my deepest gratitude. My deepest gratitude to you, to this collective spirit that we have been able to have access to today, to, um, to who we all are as one and connected to whatever feels good to everyone listening, to anyone listening, whatever that means for them, whatever... God, source, universe, higher power means to them that we have something that we can all agree is greater than our ego. Yeah. That we have that, that we get to, um, we get to open gifts from that place from our soul. Yes. And mm -hmm. I think that today was one of those gifts. Mm -hmm. So thank you for this time. Thank you for holding space for me and my thoughts and my reflections. Thank you. And again, I'm just so grateful that, uh, you know, that, that I know that you are in my circle of friends and my circle of sisters, that we continue to go out and to do beautiful work, to do the best that we can to shift within ourselves and also knowing our contribution in that way to the collective. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Feel free to share this podcast with any of your friends, your relatives. Keep tuning in. You're going to find this also on Spotify, on YouTube. Keep a light on for each other.